All right. Uh, let's waste no time. We'll bring him in. Joining us on air is Harmon Dial from The Athletic. Covers the Canucks there. Also does uh, some more league-wide related analytical work, which we'll, we'll lean on, I think, later in the interview. But first, Harm, I want to start with, now that we've had a week to look back at this entire playoff run and then hear from Jim Benning, hear from Travis Green, hear from a few of the players, what indication or inclination do you have based on some of the comments that we've heard this week about where the team is headed so far in the in the offseason? Yeah, I think obviously with the way that the season concluded, uh, I mean, to be essentially one period away from advancing to the Western Conference final, uh, it reinforces just the step that the, that they took this year um, and the fact that this club is finally turning the corner. But at the same time, when you look at that Vegas series, it was also a reminder of just how far the team still needs to go to build a Stanley Cup contender. Uh, yes, they pushed Vegas to seven games, but uh, they had to rely on Herculean-level goaltending uh, to keep them alive and, and really extend that contest. So uh, the way I, I see it, and I think it was reflected in some of Jim Benning's comments, I think it's been reflected in a lot of uh, the reports that we're hearing um, just uh, as we enter the offseason. I, th- I think the organization recognizes just what it needs to do to take the next step. Obviously, uh, clearing salary cap space is going to be a big challenge. Um, obviously rebuilding the blue line is going to be the number one priority. And, and I also imagine uh, finding an extension for Jacob Markstrom is going to be a top priority as well. So I think just when you look at this off season, I think from top to bottom, there's an understanding of, look, the, the team was able to do, uh, was able to exceed all expectations this year, but to take the next step, there's a lot of hard work uh, that uh, lies ahead. Harmon, with the three uh, three positions, whether it be forward, defense, or goaltending, where would you prioritize? Uh, where should the Canucks have the biggest focus this offseason for improvement next year? Well, the, the goaltending for the Canucks this year was uh, outstanding. And I think Vancouver doesn't necessarily need to upgrade it, but they need to do everything they can to maintain it because... Look, uh, the way I see it, defense is obviously Vancouver's biggest area of need, but you can't really build, rebuild an entire blue line in one summer, especially when you don't really have prospects ready to... Uh, like, you don't have a, another Quinn Hughes ready to step into the top four. Uh, and, I mean, 20 teams are looking to rebuild their blue line, you know? So uh, <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think it's kind of unrealistic to expect any major improvements on the back end. I think they can tinker and... Um, look to find ways to improve, but I don't think you're going to perform major surgery. And if that's the case, I think Vancouver's goal prevention efforts are going to have to come in net, as it did this season when Markstrom uh, and, to a lesser extent, Demko both gave uh, both papered over so many of the Canucks' defensive deficiencies. And we've seen a lot of rhetoric. Uh, we've seen a lot of discussion about should they keep Markstrom, should they move to Demko, uh, and I think as it pertains to the Markstrom versus Demko debate, one thing you have to keep in mind is we don't know if Demko can be the type of goalie that Markstrom was this year, right? You can look at that outstanding Vegas performance and and say and recognize how um, 
just how heroic it was. But at the same time, we don't know if he can be an everyday starter in the league. It's much different to be um, a backup. And, and you got to remember, even in the regular season, Demko only had a 9.05. I'm, I'm generally bullish on Demko, and I think he can be uh, a number one someday. But I don't know if he's necessarily going to be up for the challenge. You're going to be rolling the dice if you go with Demko next season. So uh, from my perspective, and I think this is uh, a, a belief that the Canucks themselves share, if if you really want to go all in next year, if 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 you're of the belief that you can't take a step back next year, then I think Markstrom has to be a priority because he was the team's MVP. He was, without him, the club doesn't make the playoffs. And again, I think Vancouver, just the way they're built, they need top 10 goaltending to make it. And, and as optimistic as I am about Demko, I'm just not sure if, uh, if he's ready to do that for next season. Looking at the defense, they have decisions to make on two of their top six in Chris Tanev, who is going to be a UFA, and Troy Stetcher, who will be a restricted free agent. I look at those as opportunities to assess the marketplace and see if they could upgrade either of those two defensemen. Uh, how do you look at the decision-making for Jim on the back end and the likelihood of bringing back a Chris Tanev or a Troy Stetcher? Yeah, let's start with Stetcher because I think he's the simpler one. Um, obviously, he had a terrific playoffs, and I think he definitely brings value, particularly on the defensive end, despite being undersized. The problem with Stetcher is he's obviously got he's going to be arbitration eligible, and when you look at the type of resume that he's built up over the last four years, uh, or, or over the last few years, um, uh, this year was different because he was buried on the third pair a little bit, but in years past, he... Uh, has played top four minutes, so his arbitration case is pretty strong. And so if, if if the Canucks want to bring him back, I know internally they view him as a third-pair defenseman. So if he's going uh, to clock in at two and a half, three million, I just don't think that that's something that uh, the Canucks um, would, be, would, would be particularly keen on. So I think if Stetcher is to remain in Vancouver, uh, it's going to be most likely on the bottom pair. And and really, he's going to have to take some sort of a hometown discount, probably in the $2 million range if he wants to stay, stay because uh, he is a little bit of a luxury piece if you're going to have him on your bottom pair. And, and again, it relates to Vancouver's salary cap constraints. Uh, when you look at Tanev, that one is really interesting to me because on the one hand, his skill set... Uh, is uh, it's going to be tough to replace if he walks as far as how good he is in his own zone. Uh, remember, this is a team that already struggles in terms of defending the cycle, breaking plays up around the net. Um, and he's obviously been a huge part of the PK as well. Uh, but at, at the same time, Tanev, he turns 31 in December. Uh, and, and really what worries me about Tanev is the number of injuries he's sustained over the course of his uh, season like before before um, 2019-20, uh, he's really struggled to to play 60 games even over the last three years. So um, I think that's a concern, particularly when you look at his underlying profile. I don't think that um, he's been as effective pushing play up the ice as he used to be in the prime of his career. Like I see his skating dropping off and. Uh, there's this narrative that gets created of, well, Tanev is able to free Hughes up uh, to be dynamic offensively. And I certainly agree uh, with that to some extent. But I believe that 
Hughes has benefited Tanev's game way more than the other way around because Tanev, um, I think his ability to move the puck up the ice and just drive play has really um, declined over the last couple of seasons in particular. Um, and I think it sort of masked those deficiencies. So um, when I look at Tanev, uh, again, he has an important skill set and it would be tough to replace, but I just think that the Canucks if he's gonna if he's going to come back, it'd have to be kind of similar to the Edler deal, where it's two two years. Which I, honestly, Tanev has probably earned more on the unrestricted market, and um, and because of that, I just think a long term extension is um, it'd be risky, and and I'm not sure that that's something that the Canucks will ultimately explore, given uh, again the constraints that they have, and 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 I do think that they're going to prioritize Markstrom and Toffoli over him. Harmon Dial on air with us, Sportsnet 650, Israel Fair, and Alex Blair with you until 2 o'clock. Um, Harmon, to Alex's point in that question about uh, the marketplace, I know this is something that you have written about extensively at The Athletic over the last couple of years, identifying players on other rosters that could be a fit in Vancouver, whether that's through trade, whether that's through free agency, uh, we had a, a tweet in uh, as we set up our show on Twitter last night about uh, a player like Eric Cernak. Uh, I know Vince Dunn is a player that you've written about as well uh, as potentially being a fit. Uh, maybe some of the math is different now because of the flat cap and because of some of the financial situations that a lot of teams find themselves in. Uh, but who, who are the top players out there right now that you think would be a good fit in Vancouver and that are that are realistic options for this team? Yeah, I mean, Eric Chernak, you mentioned, I think he uh, is he represents so much of what the Canucks could really use on their back end. And um, we'll see with Tampa Bay's cap situation. Obviously, he's really important to that club. And uh, Tampa Bay, almost like last season, they're going to have to make uh, some cuts. Um, and I don't anticipate that Chernak is going to be high on that list as far as players they want to jet design. But um, if if the offer is right, perhaps the Canucks can can look to acquire him. I think if you're looking at cheaper options that are maybe more realistically attainable, um, I look at the UFA market and I know that uh, his name has been floated around before. I wrote about him at the deadline as a potential um, acquisition for the Canucks. Uh, Dylan DeMello, uh, when you look at what he did um, first off with Ottawa, he can almost play that sort of Chris Tanev role where maybe he isn't the high-end top four defenseman, but he's going to be relatively inexpensive and he's just a smart two-way player. There's not a lot of flash or substance to his game. Um, but, and you look at the type of role that he filled in Ottawa. He played alongside Thomas Shabbat um, in, uh, in heavy matchup minutes. Uh, he got traded to Winnipeg and he did the same thing with Josh Morrissey and he was a fantastic fit in Winnipeg. So I think DeMello is one of those players who isn't necessarily going to drive his own, uh, his own pair. He's not going to be a sexy option. Uh, but if you, again, pair him with someone like Quinn Hughes, I think he can capably hold his own and not look out of place and um, and do it again at a relatively inexpensive cost. So um, I think he's someone that the Canucks should uh, consider targeting. Uh, beyond that, some of the other trade options, I look at Mackenzie Wegar uh, in Florida. Obviously, the uh, pandemic and the flat cap is going to affect a number of teams, and I expect uh, that the Florida Panthers might be one of the clubs that are looking to cut salary, and you look at Wegar. Um, again, arbitration eligible, uh, set a bunch of career highs, playing in the top four next to um, Aaron Eckblad, I believe it was. Um, he really stepped up in Florida's top four. But again, I don't know if uh, if the Panthers 
they're already they've already spent so much on the back end. They're already paying Ekblad, Demers, Matheson, Yandel. That's an expensive blue line, and so I'm not sure if they're going to be able to afford to pay a guy like Wegar. So he's someone that the Canucks could target as uh, as a really underrated puck moving guy who's who's also a, a quality defensive stalwart. Um, elsewhere, I mean, I look at Buffalo and they've got a number of right hand defensemen. I certainly wouldn't be targeting someone like Rasmus Ristolainen, but if you're looking at a younger option who could sort of grow into uh, a top four role, then I look at Henry Yokiharyu as, again, a quality puck moving guy who could help your possession game. Uh, so those are a few of the options that kind of uh, stick out to me. I'm glad you mentioned McKenzie because he was, he was someone that I looked at and thought that that could be a fit as well, Harm. Um, one of the names that I do want to ask you about, and it's been bantied about the Vancouver market going back to, I think, the draft last year is Tyson Berry who obviously ended up in Toronto, uh, had a less than expected year there, and is now an unrestricted free agent. His Corsi numbers are good, but I know in his own defensive zone, he has not. it's not necessarily a strength of his. And if you're looking at bringing someone like him in, I would guess that Chris Tanev is on his way out. I don't see the fit with, with Tyson Berry, but what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I quite honestly don't see the fit either. Uh, Barry's, uh, I, I think when you look at the year that he had in Toronto, he's better than he showed uh, with the Leafs. But again, I just don't think you've got the stylistic fit there. Uh, Barry is a sublime puck mover, which would help Vancouver. But uh, it's kind of similar to the fit in Toronto where the Leafs needed someone who uh, was good in their own zone and, and could help in, in their own end. And, and Barry just isn't that type of guy. And, and he wouldn't provide that sort of uh, contribution to the Canucks either. And particularly when you look at Vancouver, they've already got Quinn Hughes. And so uh, when, when you look at Barry and his skill set, I think it's, I think it's maximized on a team that needs a power play quarterback type of uh, player. And um, I, again, he can help you move the puck, but he's, he's a bit of a nightmare in his own end. And, um, I just don't think that his two-way game is good enough to be a fit in Vancouver's top four. And, and um, I think a lot of these stylistic misfit that you saw in Toronto would persist in Vancouver. But uh, we'll see. He's obviously rumored uh, to have been a player that Jim Benning has, uh, has admired for uh, a number of years. They've, uh, as you mentioned at the draft last year, they were uh, rumored to be close to acquiring him. So um, there definitely seems to be some semblance of interest. And I think... Um, because of the year that he had and, and, and how his stock has gone down, he is someone that could be had for a reasonable cost. But again, I just don't see the uh, stylistic fit there for Barry. We'll get you out of here on this harm. Uh, got a text in the 650-650 inbox from Pat from Burnaby who writes, Besser is the key to the offseason. He is high value, not necessarily in the Canucks future. They need cap space and Brock gone equals cap space. Then they can keep the rest of the team as is. Otherwise, they take a step back and go out in round one. I know that this week you wrote uh, some report cards for The Athletic. You also did the Canucks, who stays, who goes roster construction piece as well. Brock Besser has been a player now for the last, uh, I guess, the better part of a year because he's not scoring goals like he did in his rookie season. That The fan base is having trouble kind of slotting in that top six Uh I think that we're on the same page that he's a guy that brings a lot more to the table than just goal scoring. But 
what do you say to the fans that that think that Besser is uh, a piece that could be moved to make room for some of that cap space? And I, I assume that most of the fans are saying you move Besser out and you bring in a defenseman at a similar cap hit. But uh, I think that's easier said than done. What do you think? I think you're bang on there. Uh, he's definitely not an untouchable piece, but um, unless you're acquiring a similar age, right-handed top four defenseman, um, which that sort of trade isn't hard, isn't easy to execute. Um, it makes no sense to be quite honest with you. I mean, you look at Besser and the idea to me of uh, trading him to open up some cap space to sign some other guys. That's uh, that idea to me is laughable. I mean, you look at Besser's, um, three seasons in Vancouver, he's paced at a 31-goal, 67-point pace. I mean, uh, people talk about Tyler Toffoli and, and how uh, he's the sort of player that could uh, that could perhaps make Besser expendable. I mean, Toffoli has one 50-point season. He's 28 years old, and I mean, you look, you compare him to Besser, uh, and and he's already had. Um, at least three seasons where he's scored at a 50 point uh, per 82 game pace. Again, 67 points um, is his pace through his NHL career. And um, the type of year that he had, look, I understand the, the disappointment that um, maybe he isn't living up to uh, the hype that he had in his rookie, rookie season. But um, when you examine his profile, yes, he isn't as prolific on the power play, but at even strength, he still scored in what was considered a down year. He was 67th among all NHL forwards as far as his five-on-five points rate. He's rounded out his game as a playmaker. He's improved as a two-way piece. Like This is still an immensely valuable top six forward for you. So again, unless you're getting uh, a comparable right-handed defenseman back, um, to me, it makes uh, it doesn't make much sense to be shopping Brock Besser. Yeah, I'm with you, and I, I understand, like you, that maybe it's it's something that's not uh, as obvious to the eye. But if you if you watch Besser as much as as you have, I, I mean, I'm sure that uh, it's a bit easier to process. Anyway, uh, thanks a lot for the insight, Harm. You can read Harmon at the Athletic, and uh, also follow him on Twitter at Harmon Dial too. Thanks a lot for doing this, buddy. Thanks for having me.